Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Midwestern Seminary and author in residence. And we've got a great podcast for you today on an important, vital subject. Friendship is an amazing and wonderful thing, isn't it? For the church, friendship is vital. When we gather around the gifts of Christ, we gather together. We need each other. We need others who will bear the word for us. And in so doing, we make our stand in an eternal friendship against the devil, against the world, and against our own sinful hearts. The handing over of the goods, that is the proclamation of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, will continually call for the creation and endurance of friendship. It is in friendship that we will be able to hold the line until our Lord, the friend of sinners, returns. And here to talk about the biblical call to and vision for friendship is Dr. Scott Keith, the executive director of 1517, adjunct professor of theology at Concordia University, Irvine. He's co-host of the Thinking Fellows podcast and a contributor to 1517 and Christ Hold Fast. He's author of Being Dad, Father as a Picture of God's Grace, and he's the editor of this new book we're going to talk about today, a collection of essays on friendship called Where Two or Three Are Gathered. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. What What is it like right now out in uh, sunny California? Is it uh, smoggy? I'm just going to assume it's smoggy. Well, I live in the mountains. I'm oh, at about 7,200 7, feet. Um, you got the uh, pure air place, then. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at completely blue skies. Um, we live up in Big Bear Lake, California. So Whoa. Okay. I guess if you're going to live yeah. in California, that's a good place to live. It's what it's one place you can live in Southern California and not feel like you're in California. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, do you, I mean, is this big bear? Do you get bears around where you're at? You get bears in your trash and things like well, that. I've never, I've never seen one up here. We used Whoa. to live about 15 miles down the road in a town called running Springs, California, which is same mountain chain, just 15 miles down the mountain. And we, we had bears almost every night down there. Oh, um, wow. Okay. But up here, we've never seen one, although one of my neighbors just sent me the rain camera footage of probably a 400-pound black bear uh, walking through their porch the other night. So they're, oh they're here, <laughs> if, if uh, only mythical to me, but they're, uh, yeah. they're actually here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I lived in Vermont, before I moved to Kansas City, there will be people who lived in, there, in that area for 20-some years, never saw a bear. And then there are some who would say, yeah, bear comes and gets into my bird feeder like every, you know, every week. Yeah. And it, you know, so it just yeah. depends on the, I saw, I saw bear cub once in the six years that we lived there. And that, that was enough for me. I didn't want to know about. <laughs> you didn't, want to, you didn't yeah. want to find mom. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I've heard that black bears are actually pretty, you know, you shouldn't go up and, you know, and, and mess with them, but that black bears yeah. aren't really aggressive. They're not, you know, it's not like they're a grizzly not, they're or not anything. They're grizzlies. Yeah. 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 Um, well, all right. well, okay, we're talking about friendship today and this new book that you have edited, a collection of essays called Where Two or Three Are Gathered. I thought I would just ask and sort of, um, you know, maybe kind of the why of the book, but really kind of um, keying in on what some call kind of the loneliness crisis or the friendship crisis going on right now. Why do you think we're experiencing, if you do agree that we have sort of a crisis of friendship or a crisis of loneliness um, why do you think that is, and w- why the need to kind of reorient our thinking about friendship for the Christian? 
Well, um, the data is kind of out on the why. There's there's a lot of postulation um, that this goes on regarding the why, but there is a there is a, a reality that especially men in um, across the world, it may be more dynamic problem in the United States for various reasons, but are facing a bit of a loneliness crisis and a friendship crisis. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty severe. It's up to, you know, something like 65% of um, men over the age of 20 saying they have um, fewer than three good friends. If you, And kind of as you break those age groups down, you'll find age groups in there. Um, sometimes it'll be on the older age range of men, and sometimes it'll be sort of like the mid to late 20s age range where they, they statistically say in the majority that they have fewer than one good friend. Mm. I always feel like it's important to define that because we live in an age where we use the word friend a lot. Yeah. Uh, the couple studies that I looked at if I were to summarize kind of how they define friend, they would say something like um, someone outside of your immediate family that you will go to um, when there's a real crisis. Say, you know, you have a child is diagnosed with serious illness or something happens to your spouse or something like that, that you can turn to in that time of need or would turn to in that time of need. And a lot of people, you know, will say fewer than three and um, some in, in some age groups, majority will say fewer than one. The why? There's a lot of ideas on that. Um, I think we can kind of see that um, sort of social engagement groups have been on the decline for years and years and years in this country. Yeah. Um, even if you sort of take church as a social engagement group, you can see sort of membership on the decline there, and especially in denominational churches. Um but you can even take sort of civic organizations like lodges and uh, clubs and things like that have been on the decline for years and years and years. Um, and that, that was, that's some people postulate that, you know, this, it's a kind of a normal result of that. If when you're younger, you know, and you're sort of forced into groups, you make friends when you're in school, when you're in high school, when you're in college, you're forced into groups where you make friends. But as you, graduate out of those and you move into sort of normal life um the workplace is less and less a physical place now and so you're less likely to make friends there um and then even when uh the data showing even when people get married um that their family life especially for men their family life takes up more of their sort of obligation time than it ever used to. Now, when I teach on this, I'll say that's really tough for me because I think that's on the whole a good thing. <laughs> that, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, on balance, I think it's a good thing that husbands and fathers are spending more time with their families. Um, but when the surveys come out, you can see that um, there's almost a fear on the part of men to even ask to do something else. And I don't think that's necessarily good. Mm. I, I think you're right. Well, I know you're right. And just in terms of the what we've been tracking for a while, I, I don't remember how long ago it came out, but the book Bowling Alone, you, I'm sure you're familiar uh-huh. with that, Putman or Putnam, who, who wrote that. And he was sort of charting the decline of, of like bowling leagues, right? Yeah. That, that, you know, as a, as a social, you know, sort of, um, you know, social matrix, I guess, of some kind. And the decline of that, and and people bowling alone, so just sort of the solitary pursuit. And then, of course, we all know anecdotally, 
just the experience of you know you, you know going to the, you know coffee shops with which have you know you know been around for yeah. a long time but have really kind of you know proliferated in the last you know ten years or so. You go to the coffee shop, which is ostensibly a third place you know, social environment, a place where you can imagine talking with friends over coffee. And I'm sure some people do that. I know people do that, but largely you go in there and it's a lot of people who are alone together. Alone. <laughs> right. On, you know, on their laptops on their laptop. or on their phones. Exactly. Just, They've uh, got suck, the... sucking down their mochaccino. <laughs> exactly. If that's an actual drink, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I, I think, you know, you're onto something in, just in terms of how culture has influenced it for sure. I'm sure, you know, I don't want to be the old guy railing against technology, but I, I, I can't help but believe, you know, the rise of the, you know, the cell phone and those sorts of things, um, things that keep us inside more, things that keep us looking down more, that keep us in our own little world, all of that. I don't think that's the reason, but I've, I'm sure it's contributed to this sort yeah, of it, crisis. It, in a, in something like this, um, even with my book being dad, when I sort of talk about um, a fatherless sort of crisis mm. um in in the united states it's better to talk about um sort of things that contribute contributing factors to that than it is to try to pin a reason yeah, on okay. it. and i think the researchers on friendship have done a pretty good job with just trying to list out contributing factors you know that they can that people are pointing to uh, directly um rather than saying this is the reason a lot of a lot of men will point out um especially men with families which is great, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pro family kind of guy. Um, but we'll point out just the reluctance to even, um, bring up the topic of spending time on a Saturday, say golfing with buddies or, mm. you know, we, we wouldn't even say anymore going to the lodge for a beer. Right. But <laughs> you know, that as a Baptist, I sure wouldn't say that, but no, well, I, I'm not allowed <laughs> to either. I actually, I just taught this at an LCMS church and I said, I think you guys have done us a real disservice by not letting us join lodges <laughs> all these years, <laughs> but I get the reasons why. So yeah. there's a, an, an essay in the book um, from Paul Koch that's on the theology of friendship. What is a, I mean, for some, the idea that there's a theology of friendship, right? They almost think that that would be sort of a you know, separate, separate worlds. What is a theology of friendship and what is, what is the theology of, of friendship? Well, Paul brings that up in his essay. He, he says that when I asked him to write this chapter, he almost said no, because he was <laughs> like, what the heck would, is a theology of friendship? There's <laughs> right. friendship and then there's theology. And sometimes you do theology with your friends. But um, I, what, what he lands on um, and, you know, within Lutheran circles, it's, it's almost kind of easy because we have one of our con Lutheran confessions, a small called articles that R Martin Luther wrote um, not too long before his death. Um, he has an article on there on the proclamation of the gospel, and he breaks down the proclamation of the gospel into, I, I guess I'd say, a couple ways that the gospel is proclaimed within the church. And he, he talks about, of course, for us and for you, too, you know, of course, just through the normal means, which we would call preaching. Just mm -hmm. when a pastor gets up and he preaches the gospel, boom, you have the proclamation of the gospel. But in Luther, in, in, in our world, we're able to say um, that this can happen through the right administration of sacraments, too. And so Luther mentions that. 
Um, he also mentions the absolution that the pastor kind of gives to the congregations or to the members of the congregation. But in the end, he's got this, uh, this last one that you just don't expect to see. And he says, this also happens in the mutual conversation and consolation of the saints. Mm. And then he brings up, you know, wherever two or three are gathered, there is Christ among them. And as he explains it just very briefly, what the picture that he paints is a picture of Christians coming together in mutual friendship. And that when they do, um, that they're actually being little Christ to one another, and that you have a specific category within Christianity where um, friends cannot just, you know, be there um, in the same way that sort of a secular friend could for to comfort, but that you can actually provide real consolation because you can have the gospel on your lips to one another. Um, when I wrote. Uh, my chapters in the book, I always brought up sort of C.S. Lewis and his gathering of the Inklings. And um, if anybody's familiar with that, it's sort of like a literary group in Oxford with C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, and a few others that would gather on the regular, um, oftentimes twice a week, um, at a pub and then at, at Lewis's office um, at Model and College. And they would have conversations oftentimes about what they were working on, what they were writing and whatnot, and mm-hmm. sort of critique each other. But these conversations spilled out into friendships. And when Lewis writes The Four Loves um, in his section on philia, he mentions that philia is the love that friends have with one another, which is distinguished by, um, unlike lovers who stare at one another, is distinguished by sort of shoulder to shoulder walking together and sort of conversing on things that matter to one another. These conversations um, through with various inklings for Lewis um, as they would walk around the giant garden at Christ Church College at Oxford, um, Lewis uh, credits um, in his bi- little biography called Surprised by Joy, Lewis credits that those conversations with him coming to the Christian faith. Um, th- that and a few other things like his readings of George MacDonald and whatnot, but very much these conversations that when he was a non-Christian after Inklings meetings that he would have with his Christian friends while walking side by side. Um, and th- if there's a theology of friendship, I think it revolves around our ability as Christian friends to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus Christ to one another um, through words and dare I say, even sort of our actions. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I, it's such a needed thing to think biblically about friendship. I think it solves even some problems we have with with um, with either not necessarily fractured friendships, but people who want to be our friends, but things um, we can't figure out why it's not clicking, why it's not working, why it's difficult. Yeah. And I think even the scriptures speak to that, the nature of, of friendship. I devoted a chapter on friendship in, in, in my latest book as well, because I just think it's something we need to think through biblically. And, you know, I think of uh, Bonhoeffer in, in Life Together talking about we meet each other as bringers of the gospel. I think that's something kind of yep. related to what you were just sharing. So, you know, he says something like, the gospel in me is stronger than the gospel in my brother, and the gospel in my brother is stronger than the gospel in me, which doesn't sound like yeah, it, it should yeah, make yeah. sense, but— we meet each other because well, the good because, news is meant to be proclaimed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Bonhoeffer's case and in Luther's case too, the gospel is an out from somebody else's simple lips to your simple ears movement. 
Mm-hmm. It's not something that you just think up in yourself or even apply to yourself. It's something that comes from one person's lips to you. It's news. Um, yeah. Centered, it's news. It has to be proclaimed. Um, this is, I mean, this is, this is thick in the text of scripture. Um, and if we understand that, if we believe that, I mean, putting ourselves in situations where we have more people around us rather than fewer who can proclaim that gospel to us, if we believe that it's the proclamation of the gospel that not only brings us to the faith, but will keep us in that one true faith into everlasting life, um, then having more preachers around us is a good thing. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> what else do we get wrong about friendship, Scott? What are some things... Uh, some misconceptions or confusions that we have about friendship, do you think? I think um, one of the things I often talk about is that because it it's categorized as non-essential, um, so we can understand that language after coronavirus, right, with essential workers and everything, because we ca- kind of ca- – even Lewis puts, brings this up in um, The Four Loves, again, on his chapter in Philia, is that because we categorize it as non-essential, in other words, we can live and survive without it. Um, right. Even the world can, the population can, right? You need, you need in a Christian context, you need marriages to have the propagation of families, um, but you don't need friendships for that. Um, but because it's non-essential, we kind of categorize it as unimportant. And I don't think that's a good move on our part. We did that. We could see that even with categorizing things as essential and non-essential last year, right? Um, Things that were categorized as non-essential were all of a sudden unimportant too. And that's not the case. Um, Essential just means that you're going to die without it. Uh, Importance or not importance has to do with the quality of this life, um, the beauty that we recognize in this life, the joys that God gives us in this life. And friends are one of the um, things that God provides to us or people that God provides to us, not just to serve, which we do, right, Um, but to be served by. I mean, vocationally, friendship is up there. We oftentimes, when we talk about Christian service that we receive and that we get, or that we get and that we give, we kind of I think in our world, we have a tendency to think very out in that, like, worldwide but vocationally, um, you know, service in the Christian life typically happens much closer to home in reality with the people that God has called directly into our lives, husbands, wives, children, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles. And then pretty soon you're going to get to this category of friends. Uh, and once you get to the category of friends, you have to realize that Again, vocationally, it's not just that you're serving them, but by having them around to do friend stuff, which is usually fun stuff, um, you're being served too. Um, You could could say emotionally, you could say in our modern age psychologically, but you could certainly say spiritually. Yeah. um, yeah, Gosh, I'm even thinking of the way the Bible depicts friendship. And of course, you know, you think of like David and Jonathan, for instance, or... Um, in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas, and 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 that sort of thing. There's a, it, it it's deeper than just having the same things in common. There's a yeah. there's a, a benefit to the soul, isn't there? I mean, it's not it's not you know it's not you know justifying or anything, but there's something that's such a it's a supernatural ministry that I think even unbelievers, you know, there's a common grace in it where even unbelievers sense that. Right, they uh, sense it, yeah. I mean, or like even the TV show Friends. I remember, um, you know, which is you know such a debased show, but 
the the way that they described it was it's about the period in your life where your friends are your family, which is yeah. that's that's a borderline theological statement, right? The friends are are substituting as your support system, and that you know they become you know the water is thicker than blood in in that in that regard, and there's even even the unbeliever gets this sense of how friendship can be a benefit to to your soul and not just and, and, and entertainment diversion, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I have some reluctance with some of those ideas just because I, um, even in the intervening time between writing the book and now I I've noticed sort of a movement of, especially Christians, um, trying to sort of Christians, maybe who are falling away from the faith, um, who are using sort of, the idea of choosing a second family that's not their born family oh, because their their Christian family is so poisonous. Um, and I I want to be careful of that while at the same time acknowledging what you said is absolutely true. There is a there is a you know a soul blessing to having good friends, um, to having people that you can count on. Just even thinking your marriage, think if you're um if your wife is the only person you can ever talk to about the struggles of your marriage, then the only person you can ever talk to about the struggles of your marriage is the other sinner that you're struggling with. You know, that, that can be actually soul crushing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been times in my life where just my good friends weren't nearby and I've had a hard time in my marriage and it feels like there's no one you can talk to. Right. You don't, don't want to talk to your parents because you don't want to poison your parents against your spouse. Um, you don't want to talk to, you know, co- even common friends, because you don't want to poison common friends against the marriage itself. Yeah. And so there, there can be a deep importance to having somebody that you can go to, you know, when you're just in tears over the state of things in your house. Um, but at the same time, I don't ever think that God intended the purpose of friendship um, to be that you leave your your family aside right, that sure. he's call, call, called you to um, for the purpose of choosing this new family. And especially if it's being used as an excuse to um, escape the faith for some reason, yeah. um, don't run from Jesus because you need to repair relationships with your family for Pete's <laughs> sake. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, uh, you, you mentioned the inklings. What are some um, other friendships from history maybe explored in the book? What are some lessons we learned from some other famous or, or less famous friendships? Well, I mean, there's the ones mentioned specifically in the book are some of the um, the biblical friendships that you already mentioned, Paul and Barnabas and David and Jonathan. Mm. And I think one of the things that the key um, thing that you kind of can learn from the two that you specifically mentioned is just how when you have a good friend, you can be you can go through some really testing stuff in your life (laughs) (laughs) and the measure of the sort of the deepness of that friendship is the fact that when uh when that that's happening that they're still there um and that they're still your friend and they stick together i can say i'm I'm, i often say sort of i'm a big fan of the movie tombstone um and there's a line in there when um doc holiday is uh talking to, I think it's supposed to be Bat Masterson, although the ages don't work up right historically, but we'll just say it's Bat Masterson. And um, uh, he asked Doc, he said, why are you still hanging in here with Wyatt as they all just like got ambushed and almost killed? 
And he said, and Doc responds, well, because he's my friend. Mm -hmm. And Bat says, well, hell, Doc, I have lots of friends. (laughs) And Doc responds, "Um, I don't. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and I often use that as sort of a, a, a picture of how rare it is to have really, really good friends. But I would then say that, you know, I'm actually pretty lucky because I've got I've got five or six of those in my life, um, off, many of whom I've had since my 20s and are still around and hang out with to this day and get to be friends with. And the ones that I know are, um, that will always walk shoulder to shoulder with me talking about the way things are going in this world are, are the ones that have been there with me when stuff has just been horrible. There's an essay, um, one of your essays actually that you co-wrote in the book, about Luther and Melanchthon. Tell us a little bit about that. What was unique oh, yeah. about their friendship? <laughs> well, the uh, what was the most unique about their friendship is just how different they were. I mean, <laughs> Melanchthon, I mean, if you just even take stature, Luther was a huge, by standards of the time. I mean, we see, if you see like a, a life-size mock-up of Luther now, you'd say, Oh, that's kind of a small man. Um, <laughs> we have we have to realize that um, our modern sort of agricultural system has made us all giants <laughs> compared to okay. the people of five. Even me at five seven, you know, um, I wouldn't be a giant, but I wouldn't be a short guy um, as I am now back then. Mm. But just even stature wise, Luther was sort of big and bulky, um, and Melanchthon was small and skinny and timid. Mm-hmm. Um, the Luther had sort of this commanding presence where he was willing to bombastically call out evil, um, either with his pen or with his mouth. Um, and Melanchthon, um, as he would sort of correct errors, would do so more quietly um, and with a with a softer voice and with a softer pen. Um, you know, Luther was stalwart. Um, kind of from day one, Melanchthon was kind of always questioning and refining. Mm. Um, as Luther's theology sort of progressed, you know, it sort of just built on the foundations uh, that came very early. As Melanchthon's theology progressed, he looked into new things. Uh, they were both n- married to women that were sort of by, by versions of named um, Kate or Katie or Catherine, um, uh, their wives couldn't stand one another <laughs> because <laughs> okay. their, their wives were so different from each other. Katie Luther was again, a commanding presence and ran like a little hostel for students and, um, a couple other businesses on the side, like a brewery. And, uh, she raised pigs, um, and sold pigs and made a lot of money doing it. Uh, and Melanchthon's wife, Catherine was sort of from a different kind of stock. She was the daughter of the mayor of Wittenberg and sort of higher class and Mm. didn't keep a very good house and was looked down on by Katie Luther. But what distinguished them is from the time, you know, Melanchthon doesn't die till 1560. Luther dies in 1546. So Melanchthon lives 14 years longer. Um, But while they were still alive together, um, even when it's kind of clear that they probably disagreed uh, on things, they never publicly impugned one another. Hmm. They always stuck by one another in the cause of the proclamation of the gospel and what we now call the Reformation. And I think that's one of the things that characterizes their friendship. Um, 
you can also see early on where Luther is a mentor to Melanchthon theologically, and then later that Melanchthon is a mentor to Luther uh, theologically. And it's just, it's interesting to see how sort of the, the, the teacher-pupil relationship evolves and changes a bit in there too. If you've ever had that in your life, it's, you know, yes. if, you've, if, if you've hung on to sort of your early mentors from undergrad through graduate school and whatnot, and they're still hanging with them, you can kind of see that progression yourself. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, speaking of that, I, one of my very best friends is a guy that um, I discipled from you know, he, he, he was a new believer when I met him and really green in terms of ministry and everything as well. Um, and really, you know, I invested in him. We, we became fast friends and then it was, you know, you know, 15 years later, uh, when I was going through something really difficult in my life and called him and it was that kind of, you know, people yeah. becomes the master sort of moment. He really, yeah. He counseled me and held me accountable on some things, and um, and it was great. It was like my I didn't know that an investment early would pay off in this way. Yeah, that, that he would in a, in in a, in a way in this area sort of surpass me or or you know run ahead of me in terms of his wisdom and help in in that area. And it's just one of the um you know surprising you know blessings I think of of friendship. There's a great line in one of Luther's letters that he's writing to a friend. This friend had asked him a theological question, and Luther's response is basically, I'm not sure. Lately on all theological matters, I've deferred to Master Philip. And it's just like, <laughs> wow. It's just this weird, yeah. you know, juxtaposition from how we normally see it in American Lutheranism. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, Scott, what do you say? Last question here. What do you say to the person who says, this all sounds great? Um, yeah, I love it. I'm digging it, but I don't have any friends. I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Doc Holiday without wider, without any yeah, friends. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't without have wider. Oh, the, that's a tough. Yeah. What do you, what do they do? What do you do if you don't have any friends? Well, before I answer this, just I want your listeners to know that I'm very good at writing, uh, figuring out problems. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and writing about them at length. I'm much worse. At, I'm, not, I'm not as good at solutions. So, okay. <laughs> um, I, I would say this, though. Um, I'd say that while I think it's very important the, especially within Christianity, there's been this move for men to be better fathers, maybe than even their fathers, mm-hmm. um, which means probably being more um, open emotionally and likely means just simply being around more, right? Like making every soccer game, um, you know, never missing a family dinner. I think that that's all wonderful. And I think it's a good step. But like most good steps we make in our life, we can just let that pendulum completely, you know, overtake and swing completely to the other side. And most things in this sinful life that we live until Christ comes again to bring us to glory, our biggest struggle is to find balance. Our biggest struggle is to find that point at which um, we're kind of honoring all of the things that God has called into our lives. Um, Not equally, right? Your family should certainly take priority, but to some degree. And the first thing I would say is 
a good step is just maybe to make some time for friendship mm. uh, in your hurried and busy life to just make some time to give it some priority. Um, whether that means every other Saturday golf um, and you have to then call some people up that you haven't talked to in a while or asked to go golfing. I don't golf. I don't know why I keep bringing up golf for me. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like a Saturday hunting trip or something okay, like that. Okay. But, um, but anything like that, um, you know, I'm not a big joiner either. So I, I hesitate to give this advice, but if there's a group that you would need to join to maybe just get out and meet some people, I mean, I think, when we're young, meeting people's easy. Um, the older we get, the harder it gets, the more sort of guarded we are about who we are in our lives. And um, that's all fine and natural, but maybe sort of allow it to happen. If you make um, acquaintances at work that you think could be good friends, maybe sort of take the next step. Um, mm-hmm. See if friends do things together and talk about things in common for the most part. If you find somebody that's got some interests in common like that, Make some time to pursue it um, and be this is going to be a hard one because we've spent the last two years uh, telling people not to be brave, but I'm going to say be brave, you know, <laughs> and, and push your limitations a little bit and and don't be afraid to uh, to say, hey, would you like to talk about? What's going on? Hey, brother. Thank I'm I'm appreciative uh, for our friendship, for our acquaintanceship. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. We've been talking with Scott Keith, editor of and contributor to a new collection of essays on friendship titled Where Two or Three Are Gathered. It's published by 1517 Press, and it's available wherever good books are sold. And as always, dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.